0: welcome to poke the bear podcast we are here to
1: expose the lies that this culture uses to manipulate this generation interested have a listen Welcome to Poke the Bear Podcast. My name is Kim and I'm here with my co-presenter and friend Danny. And uh, Danny, the reason I wanted to get together with you today is because I've always been curious about the fascination that people have with playing video games. And you know we're in the schools a lot and we um, we spend a lot of time with teenagers and you know one of the big things that they talk about and as a big part of their life is video games. And I know you're a big gamer. I know that you're not a teenager anymore, but you are a big gamer. And, you know, I know that you really enjoy it. And, you know, honestly, I've really never played video games as an adult and having trouble trying to understand like what the fascination with this is. And I really am just here to learn more about it so that I can have a better understanding of the concept of video games in the 2020s. And also, you know, just I want to be able to relate to the audience that we spend so much time with. So can you help me out here? Can you fill me in on, you know, what is the big draw to video games?
0: Yeah, and for our listeners and for you, I'm going to go over some popular video games right now, including like Animal Crossing, Minecraft, Zelda, Call of Duty Warzone, Fortnite, Overwatch, and even Tabletop Simulator, if anyone's ever heard of that. It's a little more rare, I think, but I'm going to try to talk through some of the most popular games right now and explain, I mean, I play some of them, but not all of them. So I'm going to give you like my summary of each one and kind of explain the appeal and then... Uh, We want to kind of talk about the relationship aspects of these video games, too, because especially right now during the quarantine, everyone's staying at home. The appeal to video games has gone up, I feel like. So lots more people are playing. So it's one of those things that it's good to understand what the draw is, especially maybe for parents who are like seeing their kids play a ton of video games. Or if you're dating someone, I've heard girls complain that their boyfriends play Fortnite all the time in high school. So... (laughs) So for those of you who are gamers, I'm going to give a little bit of my take on some of the games. And then for those of you who aren't, and for you, Kim, I'm going to talk about the appeal and try to explain the fascination. So I'm going to lump some video games into like categories. Are there any like categories of video games that you think, Kim, that you're most interested in learning what the appeal is?
1: Well, I didn't realize there was categories. So, that in and of itself is interesting to me because i I mean I realize there's different types of video games. didn't think about it as being where some people might be into certain video games and not others. Other types of games when I was growing up back in the eighties, um, we had Atari, and Atari was the thing. If you had an Atari, everyone was at your house, and there was all kinds of different games from space invaders to breakout to outlaw to boxing to asteroids but we didn't really put them in categories. It was just Atari. So now I know there's such a wide variety of video games out there. So I'm interested to hear these categories and what types of people might be drawn to certain ones and for the different reasons.
0: Yeah, okay. And that brings a question to my mind too, is uh, with the Atari, could you even play, as a millennial, I don't really know this, could you play with multiple people on the same system? So could like two people have controllers and be playing the same game at the same time?
1: Yes, two people. That was the max. Um, You either a joystick or really the joystick was like um, the only time you could play with two people. But then there was like a little controller that had like a dial on it. You had to play by yourself with that. So, you know, there would be literally people gathered around the TV waiting their turn to play the game and try to beat the other person's score.
0: So, now one category of games that I think I'll start with this is like the intro. Like, this is the how to get your girlfriend or wife to play video games with you category. Um, (laughs) I would say there's like a party game almost category. Like, so Mario Kart, Mario Party. A lot of games on the Nintendo Switch are very accessible for new players. So like last night, me and my wife actually played Mario Party as opposed to an actual board game. We were looking at physical board games and decided to play Mario Party instead which is basically a board game on your TV with mini-games in between the turns. So everyone takes a turn, and then you play a mini-game that might be just, like, something ridiculous. Like, we, we had to herd a bunch of tiny little baby penguins into a certain area. There's Mario Party, like I said, Mario Kart, like a racing game. And on the Switch, you can play, I think, like, up to eight players now. It's a lot on certain games. So I think part of the appeal to start with is just the social aspect of video games. When people are stuck at home, especially, it's something that people can do together, people under the same roof. But then also, like, we bought this tabletop simulator, which is where you play a board game online, and we did that with my wife Chelsea's friends. So we played the game Clue and the game Settlers of Catan digitally with people that we can't see right now because we're stuck at home. So part of the appeal is just the social connectivity, And that could be true for a lot of games. I I guess two big categories of games would be online games that you play with people and then games that are just like you're disconnected from the Internet and you're playing by yourself. So there's like multiplayer, single player. So and the single player games can be appealing because you're playing, you know, it's kind of like that nice introvert time, that quiet time where you don't have to worry about other people. It's just you facing a challenge or exploring something. And then the multiplayer can be fun because of that connectivity factor. So,
1: Yeah, I could see where that would be fun, where you're able to connect with people, play this at the same time, especially, you know, with all the multiple ways that you can connect through technology these days and play with your friends that aren't even in your state, a way to spend time with that person by doing something that you both enjoy.
0: And one of the reasons as an adult that I still play some of the games I play is because As an adult, you know, I feel like you hit this point right after high school or college where everyone starts moving away. So some of my closer friends, like we don't even live within an hour of each other anymore. So video games has been a way that I've still been able to talk to them. I could obviously call them on the phone. But guys don't do a lot of phone calls. So an alternative to that is we can talk about life while we're playing a video game and just giving our, you know, our eyes something to look at and our mind something to kind of focus on um, to make the, the conversation a little more exciting. It can also be a distraction. It can be, you know, it's like if you focus on the game too much and you forget to talk about real life, that can be true, too. It's been kind of nice, like having friends that are multiple hours away and it's like I can hop on Xbox and talk to people wherever they are. That is one thing that I think is a huge appeal, especially right now, you know, during quarantine being stuck at home. So
1: there was a game now that I'm thinking back. Uh, so my son is close to your age. And I remember several years ago, this has been a long time ago, is Call of Duty, the video game with the zombies in it.
0: Yes. Yeah. Call of Duty Zombies was real big for a while. And I was actually going to talk about a Call of Duty today. So,
1: well, he was trying to get me to play video games. And I was like, I don't want to play these video games. This is too complicated for me. This takes a lot of coordination. And, you know, there is one thing I'm going to say is that you do have to have a certain level of skill to be able to do some of these games. <laughs> because when I very first tried to do this with him several years ago, I was like, oh my goodness, this is really complicated. You got to. You got to know how to use all these buttons and levers and all this stuff all at the same time and to really do well in these games. So I give kudos out to the people that are really good at these games because it does take some skill to be able to do these things. But anyway, he taught me this Call of Duty and um, we actually had a lot of fun playing it together. And we have a 20 year difference between us. But, um, you know, he cheered me on and he was patient with me and I ended up, you know, really having a good time playing it. And that actually, I could see where you could become kind of addicted to, you know, wanting to do better the next time around or having a strategy or learning from the time that you played before and doing something different the next time around. So I enjoyed the competitiveness of it and just the strategy that was involved with that game.
0: Like when I talk about the intro video games and trying to like the the hey, get your girlfriend or wife to play with you video games like the Mario Party and stuff. Those are usually simpler controls. So the fact that you jumped in and played Call of Duty right away is pretty impressive because you're using the one joystick to move your feet and then the other one to move your your eyes. You're looking around controlling that. So and then you've got all the other buttons on top of it. I play a wide range of games. And that's like second nature to me now, but I've like tried to introduce like Chelsea to a few games and trying to get her to play some of the ones that I just see as like second nature. I'm like, oh yeah, I sucked at this when I started. I had to start with like the 2D, very simple type games first as I learned how to have some hand eye coordination. Like, then I was able to play like the first person you're running around in a 3D environment kind of game, like Call of Duty. So And Call of Duty is actually one on the list that I want to talk about. So Call of Duty Warzone just released. And Call of Duty Warzone is kind of like Call of Duty's take on Fortnite. So you drop into a big area and there are 150 players or 152, depending on the type. You can play with teams of four, teams of three, single teams. But the goal is to be the last team standing. So you drop into this map and you're just fighting for survival. You're finding weapons and tools and stuff to try to help your team. There is that sense of teamwork. There's a sense of, you know, if one of your teammates goes down, your whole squad is weaker for that. So you kind of have to rally together. You can save up money and actually buy your teammates back. So in this game, when you die, you don't come back. You're out. You can come back if you you get one chance to go to this separate little mini game. And if you beat someone there one-on-one, you get to come back for free one time. But then after that, you're just out. And your teammates have to pay money to get you back in. Not real money, but fake money that you find in the game. So... But yeah, Call of Duty's still still pretty popular. I'm not gonna name them, but I have a friend who someone sent me their hours on Call of Duty and they were playing like I think the minimum was six hours and the maximum was ten. And this is a high school student who's a friend of mine in one <laughs> who day who is just Yeah, one those are per day. Okay. One yeah, one day he played a minimum of six hours and one day the the number was ten.
1: Now is that high, Danny? I mean, because I know, I mean, I know some people that like they spend a lot of time on these video games every day. Okay. So compared to what you just told me, what, what do you think the average time that maybe a teen would spend on a video game? I mean, is six to 10 hours seems like a lot to me, <laughs> but I mean, six to 10 hours of anything seems like a lot to me.
0: Yeah. But with this particular person, like I know he's only playing that much because he's literally bored out of his mind because of being stuck at home right now. Mm-hmm. He's not in sports. He's normally playing sports. He's not doing a lot of other stuff. So that is pretty high, I think, even for him right now. Like, I don't think most people play that much if they didn't, you know, if they could go to school and if they could go to different places and be in sports right now. So, But I do know average time played goes down the older you get. From what I've heard from people, from what I've seen on the Internet, like a lot of high schoolers have a lot more time to play. I know when I was in high school, like – depending on the day. Like I, you know, there were days where I was, I was involved in sports and stuff too. And it's like, I would come home from a game really late and then have to do homework. And like some, you know, I didn't play at all sometimes, but then when I was really introverted as a freshman, I didn't have as many friends. I stayed at home more. I wasn't involved in sports yet. I would play video games for not usually 10 hours a day, but probably four or five, six pretty easily. That was my main hobby. So to give you some perspective on my past. And I would say now, you know, on the days that I play, it's not even usually every day, but it could be like an hour or two. So, okay. So it's, it's changed drastically as an adult, but hopefully uh, that gives you some idea of the average times that people play. So, and I will say like with Call of Duty, playing with friends, those games can go kind of long. And uh, when you're playing with your friends and you're just talking and having a good time, like it's kind of like being out somewhere with your friends. The time can just get away from you. You know, it's that feeling of, You want to get first place. You want to win. So you just keep going in. You keep trying. You keep working on yourself. You mentioned this earlier, but it's kind of like that strategy and that want to get better. It reminds me of people. Honestly, it reminds me of sports. So people love talent. Like when we look at a talented athlete, there is an appeal because of the discipline that it takes to get there. So when people look at like pro gamers or, you know, people that are just really good at video games, for some reason, there's that appeal to like get better and you want to be as good as everybody else. So the same way that people go practice sports for hours, like people that play video games for a long time, it could be because of the fun. It could be because of like that dopamine hit when they do something they're uh, succeeding at, or it could just be because they want to be you know as good as the pros which it's kind of crazy to me that they're pro gamers never thought that would be a thing but
1: maybe they'll have a video game olympics one day
0: they very well could for overwatch i know for certain there's an overwatch league and there are professionals that play in that league that have won like hundreds of thousands of dollars just like you would if you were playing in the nba or whatever i don't they're not making that much money but it's comparable it's crazy Wow. so I'm going to try to break them down into more specific categories. So I've already kind of talked about the Call of Duty, Fortnite, Overwatch. So just to kind of sum that one up, these are all competitive games. They're all multiplayer games. There's a Call of Duty single player where you play a story mode. There is the zombies. So there is some options for playing by yourself. But those, I feel like people beat the single player mode pretty quick. They're usually like six hours long. The story is in total. And then they jump into the multiplayer. And that's what really draws people in. So it's a lot about teamwork. It is very competitive. And I think that there is something to be said about, like, there's a huge strategy in Call of Duty uh, Warzone where if you get separated from your team, you can't beat people as a single person against a team of four. You just can't win. I mean, if you're really good, you can maybe pull it off sometimes. But statistically, you are always better with your team. And being isolated from your team is like a huge negative. With that, it reminds me of grooming which we know isolation and grooming, the secrecy aspect kind of go hand in hand. So do you want to explain that a little bit, Kim?
1: Yeah. So I like that you were recognizing some of the things we talk about in the Go for the Gold program um, when you're thinking about the video games, because I was kind of thinking that same way too, when I was listening to you talk about, you know, kind of the strategy of these games with grooming, grooming is a form of emotional manipulation, as we know. And one of the ways that you become vulnerable to that is by being alone um, because there's really no one to have your back. There's no one to look out for you. If you're emotionally involved or attracted to someone, sometimes we tend to go off our heart and we don't use our head as much as we normally would. And by having the people around us that aren't emotionally involved and are able to see that relationship from a different light, more in a logical sense, um, to be able to maybe point out a couple of things that we may not be able to see or maybe don't want to see in the relationship that might be unhealthy. So it sounds like these video games, um, if you are out there alone and you don't have that support and you don't have the, someone to have your back out there, you, know, you can become vulnerable. And, you know, I like the analogy there because um, in our relationships that can kind of you know, be the same thing.
0: Yeah. And that teamwork and the isolation factor, um, in this, in this particular video game and call of duty, it's, I think a lot of times, like people look at video games the same way that some people look at a team sport is that they're learning something from the game. Now, obviously you can be learning bad stuff from competitive sports or video games too, but like people naturally like working in teams. They naturally like, you know, working with people. Sometimes, sometimes you like to get away from people too, but the fact that this Call of Duty game, it's like it, it rewards you for good teamwork and it kind of punishes people that are by themselves. I think that's a reflection of real life. You know, it helps people see that togetherness is good. And especially in a time where we're stuck at home, it's like that feeling of togetherness you get from being on a team and working toward a common goal. I can see the appeal to that. I mean, that's why I've played that game a little bit. And that's why I like it. It's because you're not just in it alone. You know, you feel like you have this like this group of people around you that can really help you achieve your goals. So Which is basically what we talk about in the Go for the Gold program with grooming is that groomers try to get you away from your support system, like Kim said, to tear you away from that and control you. So very similar. Another category of game that I'll bring up really quick. So Animal Crossing, Minecraft, Zelda, these kind of games kind of seem similar to me. They're single player I know with Minecraft and Animal Crossing, you can like join another person's island or join their world. But it seems like a lot of kind of like relaxing exploration. Zelda has some combat in it. I think Minecraft has a little bit of combat in it. I haven't played that one a lot. But you're building this little world around you, you have all these friends, usually you're made out to be the hero. I know in Zelda you're the chosen one in an Animal Crossing. I watched some reviews of it and it's like you name the island that you're settling with these people and you become the mayor right away or the advocate or whatever it's called. So you kind of quickly rise to the top of this little social circle. I think one of the things about these games that people like is that let's say someone joins your game, your Minecraft world, and you don't want to play with them. I'm pretty sure you can just kick them out or you can set your world to private or you can kind of make it so that people can't join you, which I feel like a lot of people wish they had that option in real life. I don't know if you've ever felt that, Kim.
1: Oh, yeah, I probably have felt that a few times. I want to live on an island.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Animal Crossing, you're literally living on an island and you're building it the way you want to build it. So... The appeal to that is that you have control over kind of the social circles around you but i think the downside to that is it gives you this unrealistic sense of control because in real life it's a little harder if you want to kick someone off your island or if you know someone's mistreating you it's a little harder than just kicking them from your game and then not answering their messages in real life if you like cut a friend out you might have to see that person in class every day you know you're gonna maybe they come confront you about it like hey why don't we hang out anymore So I think this control over your boundary circles, we talk about boundary circles in in class and just kind of your social circles and who you put around you. And I think video games, part of the appeal is if you don't want to talk to someone, you just don't have to accept their invite. Like it's not like at school where if someone walks up to you and talks to you, you know, that you're there. You have to say something. I mean, I guess you could just be silent and walk away. That'd be a little awkward, but you can't just decline their invitation to talk to you in the hallway. So...
1: Yeah, I mean, you have to give people permission to um, get close to you. And in this game, it sounds like you can give people permission to be on your island, which the island kind of signifies your safe zone or your happy place that you create it to be whatever you want it to be. And in real life, you have some control over that as well. You can decide who you will let into your life and your world and who you won't and who are the people that are going to make your world a better place and who are the people that are going to make your world more difficult. So, you know, there are those boundaries in place in the video games, it sounds like, and that same way it relates to real life.
0: Yeah, and we do talk about permission. You know, you have to give people permission to be in your boundary circles, but I think it's a lot easier to deny people permission in a game. So that's what I'm getting at is like you, you know, in real life, if you have someone that wants to be your friend, it can be really awkward and you're seeing this person face to face. So it's harder to say no in a video game. Like you're not seeing a person, you're seeing a little message pop up that says like this person invited you to their party and you can just ignore it. Like it's so much easier to set that boundary in a video game than it is in real life. So I think the appeal is like, maybe if, you know, if a kid in high school or a kid in middle school can't control their social situations around them in school, in their video game world, they can control that, which is, you know, kind of gives them a sense of like security. But that again, that can also be a negative thing because it's a false sense of control because, you know, you can't control real life the same way you can in a video game. So I know I threw Zelda into that category, but I want to talk about Zelda and then another one called Final Fantasy 7, which just came out. I've been playing a little bit of Zelda during quarantine, which I didn't beat Zelda Breath of the Wild a few years ago when it came out. So I went back to it and played a little more of it because one of my friends was playing it. So we've been talking about it. So again, the social aspect coming in, but then Final Fantasy seven, kind of the same concept as Zelda. I've never played Final Fantasy, but my friend who does, it sounds like we play that and Zelda for the same reason. So these are games that came out when we were little kids. Like we were in elementary school and I'm 29 now. So this is like part of our childhood. They've remade some games like Final Fantasy VII is a remake. Zelda is not a remake, but it has that nostalgia that takes you back to that, you know, that video game that I played Zelda Ocarina of Time when I was a little kid. So I think that part of the appeal could be like looking back on better times kind of thing. Like, you know, you remember playing Call of Duty with your son. I remember playing Zelda in middle school and elementary school. So I I think the nostalgia could be a a factor.
1: Well, I want to say here that I can agree with that because, you know, back in the 80s is when Pac-Man came out. And Pac-Man was like all the rave and to be able to have it at home and not have to drop a quarter in a random machine if you were in the right restaurant or the right place where they actually had Pac-Man, to be able to play it at home whenever you wanted to without it costing you any money, that was like the best.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that that is true. Arcades are fun and all, but it's a lot better having it in your living room and The games you play as a kid were great and all, but it's a lot better having an updated graphics version of it nowadays. It's like the nostalgia we have for some of those old games. We really liked them, but like Final Fantasy VII, my friend explained it to me like this. He said, the old game had such bad graphics that your imagination filled in a lot of the blanks. And the re-release feels like they took his imagination and put it into a game. So it feels like the gaps that he filled in himself it's like they had the same idea of what this should look like if it was, you know, if there was better technology. So he's seeing like his childhood imagination come to fruition. It's kind of like reading a book. Like when I read Harry Potter growing up and then saw the movies and it's like someone put my imagination into actual visualization. So I think that's a huge part of that stuff too. So we've talked about games. We've kind of talked about the appeal of them, the connectivity, the competitiveness, the nostalgia, And I've kind of brought up some of the negative drawbacks as we've been talking. As a gamer, I'm trying to be objective. I know that there's an appeal that can be fun. But at the same time, like talking about my my friend playing so many hours of video games, there's some downsides, right? So like, like I've used video games as a nice distraction if I'm like stressed to kind of calm myself down. But then if you play for 10 hours, it's not a coping mechanism at that point, it can become like an addiction. So Kim, I was going to ask you, what are some criticisms of video games you've heard over the years? And we're just going to kind of explore those, I think, and try to talk about like, if we think there's any relevance to them.
1: Well, the biggest one that comes to mind, and again, I don't necessarily agree or disagree with this, but this is the one that I hear the most. And I think that a lot of kids probably hear this from their parents is these video games that are really violent are going to cause people to become violent and desensitize them to violence. And I guess a good example would be is I have a six-year-old. And, you know, even if she watches Tom and Jerry, which I grew up with Tom and Jerry, I grew up with a lot of these these shows, but Tom and Jerry's pretty violent. They should be dead a hundred times over each episode, right? Or at least in the hospital. And they never are. They just get up. Um, so I think, you know, that one of the big things is that Does that become a reality to some people? Do young kids really understand the concept of death and violence and make-believe versus real life? And so that, I think, is the first thing that I think of when I think about, especially like um, video games that have a lot of killing. I know the zombie one that I was playing, it was a lot of blood. And this was a long time ago, so I'm sure games are much more advanced. A lot of blood, a lot of killing, a lot of destruction. You know, I'm just driven to want to go out and kill all these zombies. (laughs) And I'm not a violent person at all. But I was just (laughs) like getting kind of a rise out of killing all these zombies. Maybe it's because they're considered to be the bad guys, quote unquote, and you want to kill the bad guys. But that could be subjective. Somebody could think someone's bad because they hurt their feelings or they broke up with them. To another person, it might be someone that's pure evil and, you know, attacking them. And they're just trying to defend themselves. So how would you talk about that, Danny, as far as you're someone that has played games since you were young and now you're older? Um, what's your take on the whole violence part of video games?
0: I've heard this, too. I mean, I have a lot of thoughts on it kind of both ways, because I think there's some validity to the concern. But then again, it's like the bias I have of like, I like video games. So part of me wants to defend them. And I think like you said the you know the zombies are the clear bad guy. I think the part of the appeal of video games too that I forgot to mention is that I know in Zelda it's such a simple story. It's very black and white. You're a hero, there's a princess trapped by this evil guy and you have to go defeat him and he is just pure evil. There's no doubt about it and if you defeat him you're the you're the good guy. And I think relationships are so much more complicated than that because it's like if someone's manipulative, they might appear to be the good guy to some people, but then be really nasty to you. So there's this like confusing aspect of real life where it's like, who is the good guy? Who is the bad guy? Sometimes it feels like you try to do something good and you feel like the bad guy. So I think part of the appeal is that black and white, like there is a bad guy and it's very easy to determine who that is. And as far as the violence directed at them, It's like I can understand the concern with the violence in video games, but then at the same time, it just depends on so many factors. Because I think you brought up a really good point with Tom and Jerry. I think violence is a cultural problem. So I think that there's a lot of things in our culture. I mean, humans naturally are kind of aggressive sometimes. Some people are. Not everyone, but... The fact that football is the most popular sport in America, the fact that like every TV show, even little kid cartoons have like the cartoon violence where nobody actually gets hurt, but they beat the crap out of each other. I think that there is violence in so many things. If we have to blame video games, it's like we should look at movies, we should look at TV, we should look at sports that where we encourage kids to pummel each other. I think that part of it is if you're already aggressive and then you do something that lets you train your aggressiveness and like channel that aggression, you could become more aggressive. So, yeah, if I'm a violent person and I play a violent video game and I practice how to shoot people all the time, like that could have some negative effects on my psyche. Just as much as if you're a bully and you go play football and you're pummeling kids who are smaller than you and it feels really good and then you realize you can do that off the field. I think that people kind of already have to have those tendencies to be affected. That being said, that's where parents, I think, should come in. Do you know that video games have violence ratings, Kim?
1: I have seen that they're rated. Um, I have seen the ratings for like everyone. Mature, I think, was one of them. I remember my son wanting to play Grand Theft Auto. I don't even know if that's still a popular game or not. But I just remember him playing that, and I was watching people pull women out of cars and beat the crap out of them with a stick. And I thought, that can't be a good thing to be okay with. These are like conflicted as like real people. As a woman, I found it to be very degrading and disrespectful. That's not the message I wanted my son to be influenced by. So I made the decision for him not to be able to play that anymore. But he was a teenager. I was his mom. I had that say. Not to say he didn't play it with his friends, but in my home, I felt like I need to set a standard of respect for women and just human beings in general.
0: Yeah. And honestly, I grew up playing a few of the older Grand Theft Auto's. It is still a popular game. And like, I would not let my kids touch that. Like, Overwatch has like violence in it, but it's more like the cartoon violence. Like, there's not any blood. It's more like Tom and Jerry type stuff. And then there's Grand Theft Auto, where (laughs) you're being a criminal. The storyline is that you're always a criminal and you're fighting against authority and cops and you're taking advantage of people. Unless you have a kid that has a real sense of right and wrong and like knows that this is just a game, that game is rated M for Mature. So you can't even buy that unless you're 17. So those type of games, that is the positive thing is you're not going to have a sixth grader walking into a game store and picking up Grand Theft Auto. Even on Call of Duty Warzone, by default, I think it came with the gore settings turned off. So there's actually a setting in the game where you can turn off gore or turn it on. There are a few ways around the violence in some of these games. Still, I mean, you're still, you know, running around with guns and shooting each other. So it's like you can't get rid of the whole core concept of it. But even for someone that, you know, if you think you're being affected by the gore in a game, you can turn it off even if you're an adult. It's like if that stuff bothers you or it's too real or whatever, so... This is a tricky subject because a lot of gamers, I think, get really frustrated when people say that violent games can do this kind of thing. But as a gamer, I think that, you know, if you have a violent person or someone who struggles with anger and they're playing violent games, like it could set something off. I've never been affected by that stuff. So there are a lot of people out there that it's like you could play a violent game all day long and it's not going to do anything. But I think it is one of those things where we have to be careful of who's playing these games, who has access to them. So that's a huge issue.
1: Yeah, I know that that issue has been around for a long time and the conversation's been around for a long time. And as a mom who raised a son and kind of went through these these things with him, you know, I guess my take on it today is that, number one, I think relationships are really important to people of all ages. But as teens, I can remember the social part of my life was, was very important. And I can see where a lot of these video games do have relationships built into them. The relationship between the people who are actually playing these games together and bonding through that, I think, are very positive things. One of the big things I find as a parent is if there's something that's important to my child, if there's an interest that is important to my child, it needs to become important to me. I need to be involved in my child's life and in their interests. Even if it's not something that I particularly enjoy or would be drawn to, I think it's important that parents at least try to get involved in some of the things that their kids are interested in. So that they can have these discussions and that the kids have the opportunity to share something that they're passionate about with their parents and the parents might be surprised to find why they're so uh, drawn to the video games. I know that's kind of what happened with my son. You know, I had a certain perspective and I didn't want to play it. And finally I gave in and played it and I I had a better relationship with him and it gave us something to do together. And it opened up conversation about the video game to where I could speak, you know, my thoughts on it without him getting offended. And he was able to talk to me about things. I was able to have a better understanding of it. And, you know, to get involved in your kid's world is important for building the relationships and to be able to have conversations like these And I think that it just can overall give a very positive outcome to things that are yet to come uh, beyond video games when it comes to conversations about sexuality and dating and relationships and depression and anxiety. And, you know, we have to be willing to step out of our comfort zones and get involved in the lives of our kids in order to build the type of relationships we really desire to have. And I think that's what we're really trying to do in the classroom, Danny, is We know we want to step into the world of today's teenager. We're not there to um, condemn all of their choices and to condemn all of their interests because we were once teens. And we're just trying to have a better understanding of the things they enjoy. And we also want to be able to offer some wisdom. When the teens that we're speaking to today become parents, they're going to have a different type of wisdom than they do right now. And they're going to want to share that with their kids. You know, I'm glad that you are, at the age you are, able to step into this world that so many teens are in and be able to offer a perspective and to share with me that perspective so I can have a better understanding of that as well.
0: Yeah, and like I said, my view of video games has changed as I've gotten older. It's like thinking of myself as a kid and just wanting to play them and not wanting to hear any of the negatives. And then now as an adult, it's like I'm seeing more of the negatives there's still plenty of positives. And like like you said, it's like your son, he was playing the game for a completely different reason than what you probably would have guessed. It's like there could be so many different positives that kids are going after that their parents might not see what the attraction or appeal is. So hopefully this podcast has kind of cleared some of that up. I will say, even with the positives, one thing I've learned during this time of being stuck at home that you said the social aspect and the relationship aspect was so important. And I feel like any kind of connection through digital means, whether it's video games or phone calls or text, and I think a lot of people are feeling this at this point. It is always second best to face to face. Like I am so over not being able to hang out with people face to face and, you know, kind of connect with people on a real level. So as much as video games have helped me stay connected to some people when there is distance, I would much rather there not be distance and just talk to them face to face. And and I think video games like I said can be really good for helping bridge that gap, but there's also that false sense of control where you're just kind of controlling the environment and all of the relationships around you. Whether, you know, relationships with your friends or even just like the fake people in the game that are praising you constantly for being the hero. I think some of that is helpful right now with people feeling kind of out of control. But some of that can be, you know, if too big of a dose, I think it can be unhealthy. And I think all of us are just craving face-to-face interaction again. So, So, yeah, I've had a lot of fun talking about video games and kind of breaking down the... Good, the bad, the relationship side of it. Do you feel like you've learned something about gaming perspective? Kim? I
1: definitely have, and I I might even be up for joining you one night, you and Chelsea, and and playing some of these games and really experiencing some of them. Uh, as long as there's not a whole lot of coordination involved,
0: <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get you on some Mario Party. We'll have a game night and play uh Mario Party one time and see that what you think. Great. So, all right. Well, this has been a Poke the Bear podcast, and Hopefully you guys have enjoyed it and keep seeking after healthy relationships and going for the gold.
1: Have a great day.
0: Thanks for joining us on Poke the Bear Podcast. Join us for more at our website, go the number four thegold.org.